Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and I am joined once again by my good friend, Steph DeWagoner. Once again. Once again. This is a once again podcast. We are looking at the Milton Berle episode of Saturday Night Live from the fourth season. Uh, it was uh, 1979, I believe. Now, yeah, yes. before we get into it, did you know anything about this episode, or did you know the... I vaguely had remembered he had hosted, but I know Lauren Michaels had kept this episode under wraps for a while, so I hadn't seen it in a, maybe ever. I, I really honestly did not recall ever actually seeing it. Um, so no, I, it kind of refreshed my, refreshed my memory. This show was... Uh, Milton Berle, whenever you see a blog or something online, Saturday, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live hosts that have been banned, Milton Berle is always on that list because Lauren Michaels banned him from Saturday Night Live after this performance. I think that's why I knew about it. It was probably from something like that. It was a combination of, apparently he talked down to Lauren the whole week during rehearsals and stuff like that. And he was making suggestions. And he was... Milton Berle was totally out of touch with the youth and the new humor so, that yeah, was going on. I think a little backstory for people, maybe younger listeners who don't know who Milton Berle is. He was the king of television. Milton Berle, back in the day, in the heyday of TV, was the king of TV. He, before there was must-see TV, it was Uncle Milty. And he hosted a show called Texaco Star Theater that was a variety show. Um, and literally, they have data on the fact that movie ticket sales would go down that night. It was appointment TV. The family would all sit around. People would buy TVs to watch Texaco Star Theater. It was that innovative, that influential. So there's a lot of respect, or at least I guess there was a lot of respect for Milton Berle having been this pioneer in this medium. The problem is, I think his head 
had grown so big. He was out of touch. He he says in the show he's 70 years old. He had just turned He just 70. turned 70 in 79. Right. He so he came in and approached it, I guess the way he approached a lot of products and projects. It wasn't just Saturday Night Live, but anytime he was a guest star or host, he would just come in and take over. He would talk down to the lighting guys and the camera guys because he was they weren't even born when he was doing TV. So it's a little bit of this blustery I know what I'm doing, and you're not going to tell me otherwise. And this is what I know me. what's funny. And this is what's don't tell for me. me what's right. funny. This yeah. is what's worked for me for 50 years. The problem is, it's painful to watch. It's painful to watch. Uh, Milton Berle is also famous for stealing jokes, which he mentions. Yes, Milton Berle is that odd comic where he had the reputation of stealing jokes, and he went with it. He he didn't deny it. He he admitted that he stole jokes. They um, they do a little sketch, a little just a little short blackout uh, where he's sort of alluding to that, and then it's a horribly racist joke. I guess. Uh, there's a, <laughs> so that's the background of this show and, and of Milton Berle. All, all I could think about when I was watching this is everybody always says because I've watched I've stuck with Saturday Night Live the whole way through. I have watched Saturday Night Live from. From then to now, and anytime I mention Saturday Night Live, particularly to people who aren't in theater, or aren't in comedy, aren't in improv, they'll be like, ah, oh, it's not as good as it used to be. People said that 20 years ago. People said that 10 years ago. They say, nah, it's not as good as it used to be. Listen, it wasn't always good. That, those There were a lot of bad episodes in, those, in the heyday of Saturday Night Live. Yes. Especially the first season when they were gaining their footing. A lot of bad shows. Um, and so they, I just let us know that you and I... Uh, we are, from, I get the the '80s generate. We are not offended by anything. We're not. I, I, I at least I'm not approaching this from. This is an offensive. No. This is just bad. bad. It's just bad. It's not the content. It's though some of the content is. It's weak, but yeah. I have a feeling that people just didn't want to write for him. Didn't want to write with him. Didn't want to write for him. Um, and so I think that's a problem when you get a guest star that is hard to work with it the show suffers even more because the writers don't want to write for him you get somebody that comes in with a lot of ideas you know somebody like paul rudd or peyton manning or dwayne johnson or you know uh, uh people who will accept you know, a lot of yeah they're just open to anything you know somebody even somebody like um back in the day you know uh uh, Buck Henry or, or uh, you know, somebody like that who they know may not be the most dynamic, you know, probably Buck Henry, that's a terrible mm-hmm. example. But, you know, they'll be more willing to write and share ideas and, and support their ideas. So I was trying to figure out which ideas were his and which idea were, were things that the writers might have pitched to him. And I think a lot of the stuff was his idea and people were like, all right, we're just going to get through it. But um, Well, one of the other things is he would ad lib and mug to the camera during the sketches, which is what they didn't want him to do. Yeah, I mean, if you read the book Live from New York, which is an awesome book that really chronicles kind of the whole birth and beginning of Saturday Night Live, they talk about this episode in there. So I think that's where I had some reference to because I read that book like two years ago. But Lauren Michaels even says, I have respect for the beginnings of TV. I have respect for, you know, what he did. But it's we were sort of fighting that. We were the anti. And he didn't really want to have him on, but was like, okay, you know, maybe it's a good idea. I personally am not a Milton Berle fan. Never have been. Never have understood what the big deal was. I will take Sid Caesar. 
Jack Benny, Coca, Jack Benny, Bob Steve Hope, Allen, yeah. and Bob Hope, a hundred percent over and over Milton Berle any day, over any any day. And of course, the biggest thing about Milton Berle is, <laughs> is are we gonna, I thought, are we going to get through this podcast? No, we're not. And Milton Berle was also known for having the biggest penis. In Hollywood. Apparently, he and Forrest Tucker of F2. Forrest Tucker, yes. Those were the two biggest dicks in Hollywood. And that was... But actually, that was one of the things is... During the week, he would ask people, do you want to see it? He would go around asking people if they wanted to see his penis. Once again, 79, the 70s, a different time, but... Yeah, so that was that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they do, they open with a sort of an homage an to homage. Texaco Star Theater. You've got your four, ma- four main, I'm always laughing I watch these old shows. The cast is like eight people and now the cast is like 18 people. Yeah. Um, but, but the four main male uh, uh, performers, Ackroyd, Belushi, Murray, and Garrett Morris. I, and it's just comical that Garrett Morris is in there because a, a black man would not have been in that. But they're doing kind of an opening and mm-hmm. it's not really, there's not really any joke to it other than it's just kind of this cute homage to Texaco Star Theater and they do kind of a little funny. The, the only joke is, is that Garrett Morris is like, I'll steal your hubcap. Right. So they're doing, so this episode, you you get racial humor from Milton Berle and the show. The different dynamics of racial humor at that time. I thought all the guys did a good job. Then we go into the opening credits. And then we get the opening monologue. I'm always a little nervous when any kind of a comedian hosts because they always want to do like a stand-up monologue. Mm. I almost prefer a monologue from somebody who's not really a a stand-up. Like I don't like when Chappelle hosts Mm. and does a monologue. I don't like, you know, I don't know. Like, if I want to see your comedy, your stand-up, I'll go see you at a comedy club, you know? But, so yes, Uncle Milty resorts to his tried-and-true jokes. He, he does these out-of-touch jokes. He mentions, he, he makes a joke about black people. He makes a joke about, he, he burps and goes, I have so much gas, Arabs have been following me around all day. <laughs> and it's just, it's just bad. And it was his nightclub act. That was his nightclub act. Right there, and now during this, and and something else that got on um, Lauren Michaels' nerves is during his monologue, pipe drops or something. Right. Yeah. There's some little thing that happened. That was staged. That was actually Bill Murray. So Milton Berle had a staged ad lib. So this pipe drops. It grabs everybody's attention, and Milton Berle just says, uh, it looks like NBC dropped another show. Ladies and gentlemen, I was asked by the producer of this show to... to, What the hell? (laughs) NBC just dropped another show. I, uh... What's going on here? Oh, it's a live show. Before... Before I go any further, I was requested to say by the uh, producer of the show that there's going to be some great hosts on here uh, in the future. George Burns, trying to get George Burns. He's great. He looks just like he did 40 years ago. Old. (laughs) I can't tell you how old Burns is, but I think he was circumcised with a stone knife. (laughs) He's old, man. I'm telling you. I'll forget it. What would you say? That's it? I'm all through? (laughs) That's it? The monologue's through? (laughs) 
good on Catch Gilligan's Island. I don't do any more after that. It's only five minutes. Are you kidding? I usually bow for 20. Well, that's the monologue. Thank you. We'll be right back. So that was a staged ad. I lib. knew about the other stage thing that we'll talk about yes. later. I did not know about that. And that was his biggest laugh of the monologue. I could see how somebody like Bill Murray or maybe even John Belushi sort of would maybe remember being a child and watching Uncle Milty. And so they maybe would almost give him a chance. And well, that was Belushi. Belushi was excited for him to be on the show. Not as much as everybody else was excited for him to be on the show. Well, right. Right, and that's I, I I couldn't I can't imagine I can't imagine. Sorry, folks, I'm giving my dogs treats so they leave us alone during the podcast. Um, I was thinking that here's you hear all these stories about how John Belushi didn't want to write for this guest and didn't want to write for this female uh, guest and didn't want to do this, and here he is, you know, supporting Milton Berle, and I thought, oh, what a disaster. Well, this was at the beginning. He sort of fell in line with everybody else. Was like, this was a disaster at the end. Uh, but at the end, it was they have to cut him off. Yeah, because he's going too long, and you can you can see the obvious. I don't know if this was not what they did in run through, but Milton Berle is obviously upset. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because he starts yelling at this person, this stagehand, tells him, we got to cut it. In this like passive aggressive yeah. way where he's trying to be funny, but you can tell he's pissed that he's they're pissed. cutting him off. They're cutting him off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, uh, then the next sketch is the Big Butt Family sketch. And that's one of those standard SNL, you know, it's the Coneheads, the Big Butts, the Loud Family, the, you know, it's... The, the, the nerds. Right. Uh, it's the same thing. Just insert whatever the thing is for the family. Insert. So this is the Big Butt Family. This episode came out around Easter, so it's, East, it's an Easter-themed sketch. They're hiding the eggs. Uh, Milton Berle is their uncle. The sketch is thus them with big butts. It's really the only true like SNL style sketch he. Uh, there's another sketch he does, but it's we'll talk about it in a minute. Mm. This to me is the only one where he's like playing a character. Yeah. It's uh, you know it it's the furthest extension he does into any kind of a character in a sketch in the show. And there's not really the joke is everybody has big butts, so they try to squeeze onto the couch. They. They bump, you know, they they bump into each other because their butts are so big. It, right. Now at this point, this was seventy nine. So Belushi had already done Animal House. So Belushi was a big star from Animal House. Right. And I don't know if nineteen forty one came out yet. This was the last season season with Belushi and Ackroyd because this is the so they left to do the Blues Brothers. So they weren't in the next season. I was surprised that Belushi took these supporting roles in these sketches because his star was was way on the rise could have been less work that he had to do though too you know you yeah. don't know and oh you know what i forgot i said this is the only sketch where he really plays a character i forgot there's one coming up with lorraine and gilda yeah. that he that i have to admit i watched this in two settings because yeah. i started to watch it and fell asleep <laughs> So I had to watch the last half of it from Weekend Update on again last night because I had fallen asleep the first time <laughs> I watched it. And so I was like, oh boy, okay, I got to watch this again. 
then the next sketch is Don Kirshner's dance party <laughs> with Paul Schaefer. And that was a regular character he did. A yes. Regular he did Don Kirshner quite a bit. It was actually referenced. Letterman would reference it when he was on, you know, on the on the late night with David Letterman. So that was a standard. He was playing Don Kirshner. Uh, Gilda was playing his Parodying daughter. Parodying a show, a late night concert show that yes. would be on. And uh, yeah, and Gilda was playing his daughter. And the you know, so that sounded just like him. Were you the one telling me Paul Schaefer was supposed to actually be a cast member and then became the band director? I don't. I, Somebody was telling me something about him. He, I mean, he was in the cast. He did a lot of... He was, like, especially in the fourth and fifth season, he was in a lot of sketches. So it's the village uh, persons... And I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't know if it was a parody of the village people or if he was just playing, is calling him the wrong name on perp, uh, on accident. I think it's a like, parody of the village people because it's a pretty dead on parody yeah, of the village people. A, with a song called "Bend Over Chuck Berry," so. which actually, to me, I was, I, you know, I liked the village people back in the day when I was eleven or whatever, mm. listening to disco, and mm. it's a good. It launches into actually a good musical number. Mm. They used two extra cast members to fill in the sailor and the cowboy and the village people roles. Yeah. Never do a close-up on them. You never see who these people actually are. They're just extra cast members <laughs> playing the cowboy and the sailor because Bill's playing the construction worker. Dan's playing the, the biker dude. John Belushi's the Indian. And Garrett Morris is singing the lead as the police officer mm-hmm. guy. Um, and my only problem is I could not understand half the lyrics of that song. <laughs> Other than bend over Chuck Berry, you know? So, it was a good number. I just couldn't understand half the lyrics of it. But the guys were super committed to it. They were all dancing. And and it was very... It was a dead-on Village People parody. Then our next... uh, The next one is the open mic. Now, you and I... Have t- will take something extra out of this being performers ourselves. Well, and I get the joke at the end, but that was a long road to to get to that joke. It was a long, long... Sca- every cast member, and it starts off with Brian Doyle Murray, <laughs> Bill's brother. The sketch is Milton Berle is holding auditions for his club. He's, he's the perpetra- perpetrator. The perp- that's he's probably the, perpetrator, the right word. Yeah. The proprietor of, you know, like Bud Friedman. He's a Bud Friedman-esque yeah. character, you know, who hosts, who, who owns like the big local Catch a Rising Star improv, you know, we're going to make you a star mm-hmm. stand-up club. Right. So this is the week, this is the weekday open mic where he's looking for new talent. And supposedly. E- and every single cast member Comes in, with comes a- in with a bit. Uh, Bill Murray and Garrett Morris are, and Brian Doyle Murray are just bad stand-up comedians. Lorraine Newman is a housewife. That to me was actually the best act in that whole sketch. Was her uh, former hippie, now a housewife, housewife uh, song. I thought that was the best act in this, like act within a sketch. Now, but the joke within the joke. The inside joke is Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner come in. Yes. They're like, well, we're probably too hip for this room because we're improvisers. Yeah, they're, they're, they're this like Nichols and May-esque, you know, improv duo. So they're playing improv snobs. And Steph and I are both improv <laughs> comedians. And we know these people. 
uh, we know these people well. The, that, that they were playing, yes. And uh, they also, the sketch continues where they they start doing improv, but they can't really use the suggestion. So which, they, which she said, give me a suggestion of a place. And he says, Montana. And she goes, be more specific. <laughs> Buke, Montana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's the next? Mr. Pine needs a branch and Norris. Branch and Norris? I think I should be frank with you, sir. Uh, we may be too, a little too hip for your club. We do improvisation. <laughs> oh, too hip, huh? Yeah, for my club? I think so. Buddy Pine's launching pad? We'll see about that step up there. Okay. Too hip. Well then, if you'll give a suggestion of a place, we'll do a scene for you. Any place at all, any place at all. Any, any place? Any place? Yeah. Uh, how about Montana? Montana. Okay, um, could you be a little more specific? Okay. Butte, Montana. <laughs> Butte, Montana. Okay, how about a, a car driving through Butte, Montana? Oh, a restaurant in Butte, Montana. Uh, a, dr- a drive-in restaurant. An Italian restaurant. <laughs> okay, an Italian restaurant with a parking lot next to it. Okay. A woman is pulling into the parking lot to go into an Italian restaurant in Butte, Montana. <laughs> Is there anything wrong, officer? There certainly is. I'll say you just made a right-hand turn from the outside lane. It's illegal here in Butte, Montana. I'm sorry, officer, but I was hungry and I happened to see that Italian restaurant here in Butte, Montana and didn't think before turning. Well, I won't give you a ticket this time, but consider this a warning. We have strict traffic regulations here in Butte, Montana, and we try to enforce them. Oh. Uh, can I uh, suggest another place? Sure, of course. <laughs> Outside. It's, it reminds me of, I won't say this always happened, but I always got the sense during the improv, uh, during at Second City, after the sketch show, you can hang around and watch them do improv. And I'm using air quotes, folks, because what they're really doing is the cast is using it as a chance to work out material that they're writing. Mm. So I always felt like they would take this huge... Mm list of suggestions from the audience and then force it into whatever (laughs) sketches they were testing yeah you know and so that it did make me laugh as an improviser that as an improviser it made me laugh not i don't not the way that i think they wanted us to make us laugh but and then john belushi is there he's just he's the funny guy in the he's the well they said i should do stand-up right right at the end of the sketch, he gathers everyone back in. But if you notice, Bill Murray doesn't come back in at the end of the sketch. Right, right. And I don't know if that's... And uh, Dan Aykroyd's not in there either. Uh, just Gilda comes in. Okay. I don't know if they had to get ready for something. But Milton Berle goes, and this is a stand-up thing, goes, I hold a workshop. I hold a, I hold a, a, a stand-up workshop that's only $150 Per a week, one hundred fifty dollars a week for six weeks or whatever, and that made me laugh because there is just a ton of that in the stand-up community. There were there were certain there were certain big name comics that would like they'd come and work the weekend and then on Sunday hold a workshop and, and make extra money that way. So that was just the th- so this sketch was just incorporating inside comedy. Stuff that w- that was happening at the time, and being involved in stand up and improv, I got it on a different level than anybody else. 
You know, so the whole joke being that none of these people, like, the, he, he sits there and suffers through all these terrible acts, so he basically can sell classes. Right. You know? Yeah. But he's not good in it. He, thank God, Jaden Curtin's there to help prod him along, because even at the end, he blows the final line in the, mm-hmm. in the sketch. He has to turn to her, and he, he, he messes up the line. He flubs the line. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, he's not he's not great in it. He doesn't he never looks comfortable. Even though he's trying to put on even though Milton Berle's trying to put on this air of I'm the king of television, he never looks comfortable. He always looks nervous to me the whole show. Uh then we have uh, uh, the news after that. Okay. We haven't gotten to the main way. Where's the That's after the news. Oh, okay. All it's right. after the news. Yes. Uh, we have the news at this point it is Jane Curtin and Bill Murray. Which doing I didn't the news. even remember Bill Murray. Uh, Bill uh, Bill Murray took over for Dan Aykroyd. After Chevy left, it went to uh, Jane, and then it went to Jane and Dan, and now it's Jane and Bill. He must have not have done it long. Uh, he must not have. Um, or remember? maybe it was because they knew Dan was leaving and they were just... Do you remember who did the news after him? After... After Jane Curtin and Bill Murray? Did she do it by herself for a while? She did after Chevy. Oh. She did it for herself... I remember that. I'll have to look that up and see who did it after him. Well, Bill was around for the fifth season as well. They did it in the fifth season together. <laughs> Does it go to like Charles Rocket or something after that? So I don't know who did it that 1980 season. I don't. Isn't that Charles Rocket? Charles Rocket was in the... Maybe it was Charles Rocket. I think that's where he gets like fired and for saying yeah, that word. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. jumping way ahead to another decade. Yeah. And there's this extended uh, live or recorded... Piece where Garrett Morris is playing this baseball player coming out of retirement. He's done that. He did that character multiple times. And I was like, oh, okay, he's done this character before. Did, I, did you understand what the point of that video was? I didn't. It was, I guess it was just to interview. They interviewed some New York Yankees at the time. They Maybe it was just to get a free tip, uh, trip to Yankee Stadium, but... It was just... I know he's done that character before, and and but... Uh, yeah, the video didn't make any sense to me. I didn't understand what the what the joke was. There was really not a joke in it. It was just him. No, playing it wasn't a joke. It was him and... playing baseball with the Yankees. Yeah. It was the Mets versus. It was a preseason game. Yeah. So it was the Mets versus the this Yankees. Is very New York sort of thing. Yes, it was a very New York sort of thing. Uh, we come back and Lorraine Newman plays this music critic. Right, right. She's one of the you know the your typical like. What, I call it like the side chair on on update. They slide in from the side, right. and they're going to be a, a consultant or a special reporter or whatever. And so, yeah, she's a she's a, supposed to be a music critic. Now the thing, now the weird connection on this is she starts talking about Elvis Costello, and two years earlier, Elvis Costello was banned from Saturday Night Live because he he didn't play the song that Lauren wanted. He started to play a song. And he's like, no, no, it's it's real famous. He's like, no, 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 no. And he starts playing the song that he wanted to play. On a show where the host would eventually get banned, oh, that's pretty they're good. talking about a musical guest that was banned. Now, Elvis Costello was eventually let back on the show. It took years, but so we have two banned people in one show. I feel like this character she played, it was, you know, because if a character latches on an update, you, they'll bring them back. They'll be back to do more. And I feel like I never saw this she, character ever she again. She plays this English 
I, what did you think of her English accent? Well, it, she loses it. It goes into yeah. Lorraine Californian by the end. Of it. Right. And she talks about taking lewds a month. Right, lewds. that's right. So she's this hip mu- you know, music critic, and she's on lewds and mushrooms, and she just starts going on and on. And Bill, <laughs> Bill Murray interrupts her. He's like, we got to go. And I'm just wondering, was that in the script or was Bill like, this ain't going nowhere. Maybe I should just get you Maybe I should just get you out of here. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that too. And I thought, no, I, mean, I think that's built into the fact that she's like on lewds and doesn't know what's going on. But I don't recall her ever playing that character specifically again. She, you know, she's funny. She had kind of her core kind of character. She wasn't as versatile as Gilda or Jane, no. I don't think. Um, she always played like a California girl or like the zippy girl or whatever, but she didn't have like a ton of different characters. Now, Bill Murray doing, he's doing the news as Bill Murray, you wacky guy. Right. And I, I think the news has to be done straight. That's why I don't think he did it for very long. Yeah. There's, uh, he's, he's talking about, apparently there were the, um, the big King Tut exhibit. The big, cut, uh, big King Tut exhibit was in New York that at the time. That was a big thing. And he took out this bust of King Tut and he starts making out with it and so he does, starts breaking into his lounge he singer. Sings, yeah. Hey, you big King Tut kind of guy. He, sing, he sings instead of Tut Tut Tootsie goodbye, he's singing Tut Tut Tootsie. Yeah. Yeah. And I really don't think that works for the news. I think the news has to be delivered straight, like when Dan and. Jane, because Jane delivers it straight through the yeah. whole, and when Dan and Jane did it, and even Chevy delivered it mostly straight. So yeah, I, I don't think the I don't think Bill Murray's persona was was the best for the for the news. And then our next sketch is on the spot with uh, Irvin Mainway. I was so happy to see this sketch because I was like, okay, this is going to be good because <laughs> I always like a good Irvin Mainway uh, sketch and. You know, and he, he's always, of course, Jane Curtin's there, you know. Uh, uh, it's either Jane Curtin or Candace Bergen. Right. When Candace Bergen would guest host, she would be the host of these shows. But when she wasn't on the show, it was Jane Curtin. Yes. And Dan Aykroyd play, And Irvin Mainway is, he's just this consummate con man who's always looking to make money and is always offended when people question his motives. And this is the Dan Aykroyd podcast, so we should talk about this character, because this is good. This is definitely one of his more well-known SNL characters. Mr. Mainway, isn't it true that at Kitty Fun World you have a ride known as Thunder Plunge? Thunder Plunge is very, very popular with the kids. Isn't it true that in this ride you put small children into grocery shopping carts and send them careening down a steep incline into a gravel pit? (laughs) I'd like to point out that each cart is equipped with a little foam cushion to cushion the kit. I'll tell you what else the cart is equipped with, Mr. Mainway. A little sign that reads, Property of AMP Food Stores Do Not Remove From Parking Lot. Miss Face, AMP is out of business. I acquired the carts. Mr. Mainway, AMP is not out of business. It is a national chain with over 30,000 stores. Well, the one in Rahway is out of business. That's easy to check, Mr. Mainway. Now, what about this crack the whip? As I understand it, in this ride, you put small children into a large burlap bag, tie it to a derrick, and swing this bag of children round and round in circles until the rope frays and they are hurled into space. They land in a lake. Uh, yeah, he's just the ultimate shyster, always looking for an angle. You know, he's no, like, there's the old with the Halloween costumes, the big yeah. bag of glass or yes. whatever, you know. 
this is this is he's pitching the main way. It's a it's a theme amusement park. park. Amusement yeah. park. Theme so park. all these unsafe rides like well, throwing a bunch of kids in a, a burlap sack. Yeah, it's or shot. Just pushing shopping carts down the hill. <laughs> what's it? What's it? What's the mouse tent? What was it? Mouse mouse trap mouse tent? What was it called? Mouse, and, mouse mountain or something and, like that. And, he, and she goes, and what is that? And he goes, it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> we put a kid in a tent with a mouse and we let him go for five minutes. <laughs> and he goes, and we change the mice every fourth kid. <laughs> so I, I mean, it's just that that actually was the high point. Of that the was the show. high point of the show. Yeah, Dan and Jane going at it. Now, I will say that uh, Garrett Moore, I, one of the complaints I have through these is, like the first couple of seasons, Garrett Morris didn't have anything to do. And I, he had more to do in this episode, as the women did. And once again, I think once Chevy Chase left, everybody had a chance to grow more because Chevy was just basically in every sketch that first season. Right, right. And now that he's gone and, and Bill Murray has now established himself, I think it's a much more cohesive show, and I think everybody has a lot more to do and is able to shine more yeah. often. Yeah. Then we have the the scene, uh, the sketch of the nursing home. The nursing home. That's another. That's another sketch where Milton Berle actually is playing a character. He's the old, old, you know, dad in the, living in the nursing home, kind of feeble uh, dad. So they've got him in makeup. They've got him. In, you know, he's seventy already, but they've got him looking like he's like ninety five years old or something, and. Uh, Gilda, this is a good one where Gilda comes in as his daughter and then Lorraine comes in as like his younger daughter. They're so both his daughters. So yes. They're visiting, they're visiting their dad. And, and it's, they're clearly playing it as Jewish. Yes. They're clearly playing these as New York Jews. Yes. Yes. Jane Curtin's in there as kind of the stern nurse, you know, later on. Um, he, I actually thought this was pretty brilliant, whoever wrote this, because it was a way to get him in the sketch, but keep him under control. But... That being said, when they're feeding him, the thing the thing is, Milton Berle is feeble in this, feeble minded in this. So he's just like, uh, "Who are you? I'm your daughter. You never visit. I'm visiting you, Dad." And the other daughter comes in. She never visits, Dad. I'm right behind you. The only time he's coherent is when the nurse is in the room, and he he grabs her butt and he goes, uh, "This nurse is like a can of Crisco." Fat, fat in a can. Right, he goes, I call her Crisco because she's fat in a can. Yeah. Which is like old joke. Yeah. And I think that might have been an ad lib. That might have been one of his ad libs that they... T- t- oh, maybe. Yeah. Or I, it might have been something, too, that he did in like the run-through and then I got a laugh, so he kept it or something. Because it didn't seem like it completely threw everybody off or anything like that. No, I think at this point they were just ready for it. Yeah. Uh, but they're feeding him soup. And while they're feeding him soup, there's supposed to be dialogue between uh, Lorraine Newman and Gilda Radner right, going back like, and forth. Right, and he ke- and Milton Berle keeps mugging to the camera and keeps spitting out the soup and it running down his chin. And they didn't want him to do that. And he did it anyway. So he was still, even though he was in a chair, confined, he was still trying to steal focus while the other two were trying to do their thing right. in the scene. Right. And that was, just, uh, that was another thing. Uh, that Lauren Michael, it was just like, please don't, just eat the soup. And he just wouldn't eat the soup. He goes, I know, you know, I know what's funny, and uh, just could have it dribbling all over my chin. That, that was that sketch. It, there's nothing, really not a lot to these sketches. Uh, feeble-minded old dad, and the and the and the women come in, and it is funny to watch these older seasons. Like I know in another previous 
uh, podcast episode you did with uh, when Madeline Kahn hosted. You guys, you know, talked about a lot of the content, and it is sort of funny to see these these uh, sketches and think like, "There's no way they could do this now. They, no, there's no way they could put this sketch out there now." You know, but it was supposed to be edgy. It was supposed to be socio political, you know, humor. So maybe, maybe uh, I guess SNL maybe has. Uh, I don't say, I want to say it's softened because it's still current. It still comments on current situations, and uh, but yeah, it just makes. But they're me- not going to do. They did a lot of black jokes at Garrett Morris' expense. A lot of so drug. Jokes. A lot of drug jokes. A lot yeah. of a lot of black drug jokes about him getting busted. Which I don't think would fly. A lot now. of racial stuff that you. There was a lot just, of racial that, stuff. That you just there's no way it would happen now, which is that's fine. That's good. Yeah, but like I said, we're not offended by hearing this back <laughs> back, back in the seventies when it right. came out. Uh, then they then they uh, we we see the musical guest. Milton Berle introduces the musical guest, but before he does, he's like, "I just want to bring out my writers." And they're all Asian men. In business suits. In business suits. It was weird. At first I was like, oh, that's nice. He's going to bring the writers out. And I was like, oh, no, he's not. He's not going to bring the writers out. He brings out like five middle-aged Asian men, speaks Japanese. And then he, yeah, and then he, hoi, 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 Yeah, the standard fake Japanese gibberish. And then he introduces the musical guest, Ornette Coleman. Never. Never heard of him. And he is a saxophone player. And I actually thought that was a pretty good combination because there's some weird musical guests back in the day. I, I always thought even back then a lot of the music guests were odd. And uh, so I thought, yeah, this is good for Milton Berle's show to have a, a jazz saxophonist. That, that right. works. That, that's fine with me. And who knows? That could have been some guy he knows that he recommended. I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, but he plays a song called Times Square. Uh, there's no lyrics. It's all saxophone. It's good. It's good. good. Yeah. Not a competent saxophone Sorry player. Sorry to any jazz buffs out there if you yes, like. Yes. But deal. I had never heard never heard of him at all. Haven't heard of him before or since. Right, I mean, right. this is the this is literally the only time I've heard of that man. Yes. Yes. Now we get to the end of the show. <laughs> Yeah, because it's weird. And I know, I imagine there's other stuff that was there that got cut that we didn't see. Because this wasn't this only, was this a full episode? I believe it was a full episode. Okay. It, it, was that, like a, it was like a hour 22. It felt long and short at the same time. It did. It was, there was well, like you said, that, the, the sketch, there's not a lot of sketches in here. Because like that one sketch just went on forever. Yeah, I guess that's what it was. Some of the sketches were just really long. There wasn't a lot of them. By the way, anybody who's an Ornette Coleman fan, apparently he passed away in 2015, and he was a big founder of the free jazz genre. So there you go. Now you know. Um, Yeah, so here's what I thought was interesting, too. And I remembered this. I did remember this from reading live from New York about the the end of the show. Okay, so the end of the show, Milton Berle is doing a... Version of September song. Maudlin. Maudlin, somber. <laughs> Sitting on the stool by the piano. It's really... Milton Berle also hosted The Muppet Show. And he did sort of the same thing at The Muppet Show. So I guess this is how he likes to close his shows. Well, like you said, I think it's hearkening back to his nightclub act. Where probably yeah. towards the end... You know, think about Jerry Lewis throws the towel around his neck and he's... 
let's let's get serious and yeah. bring it down a little mm-hmm. and um and you hear somebody laugh sort of initially at the beginning of the song because I think maybe they think it's going to be a joke. Uh-huh. But no, it's not nope. a joke. He's singing September song, which Lauren Michaels asked him, please don't do this. And he talked him into it. Oh, it'll be great. It'll be great. You know. Well, he sings September song. And once again, he's he's doing bad jokes during it. These are intentionally bad jokes that I think he thought were going to get bigger laughs than. And if you watch his monologue and you watch this, you can clearly see on his face he thought these laugh he thought these jokes were going to get bigger laughs than they did. So he's doing this somber September song with these bad bad jokes, and we get through it, and at the end. He's talking about all my life. I've given my life. I love the smell of the grease paint. I love the mm. the the crowd. You know, I you know he's basically putting him his this speech that I'm sure he gives at every performance he does. I love the grease paint. Yeah, I love the laughter, making people laugh, which is probably true. It is true, but it's so just... at the end, the lights come up and he gets a standing ovation. Which you think, oh, isn't that nice? But then you find What's out. The re- the, and what is the reason he got a standing ovation? Because he prearranged to have 10 friends and family members throughout the house mm. to do a, to, to lead the standing ovation. Which any dummy, you're not going to sit there. If a bunch of people get up, you're going to get up to. Mm. You know, but yes, he actually says to Lorne, don't worry, I've got the standing ovation taken care of. <laughs> Lorne's like, what? So apparently... They didn't show the audience from that angle when they showed it originally, or something is what I understood. Is that is that, and then and that's one of the again one of the reasons why Lauren didn't want this episode shown for years and years. He finally let it out of the the vault. He wouldn't when the show went into reruns. He wouldn't show this one. But yeah, uh, Lauren was just pissed that it just is un. It's disingenuous. Well, just like the. Rehearsed ad lib right. and this. It was, yeah, it was just disingenuous, disingenuous, as you said. I mean, I, because Lauren's hands were tied. He didn't want to have Milton Burl on the show. The network wanted to have Milton Burl on the show. And yeah, the, the network telling him what to do. And he, and Lauren Michaels was right. It was just, it was a subpar show. And, and Milton Burl was not a, not a great host. He was not a good fit. And it's not, and I'm not saying that older people can't be, no, Betty White was hilarious yeah. when she was on there a few years ago. And they've had other... I was trying to think what other like older actors they've had hosts. Or did, uh, did they ever have like Sid Caesar or... Bob Hope was never on SNL, no. right? No. Um, I'm trying to think of any other like older actors that they had. I'm sure it's there. I mean, it's all on Peacock, folks. You can... Yes, all the seasons of Saturday Night Live are on Peacock. You know, it's funny about that season. So Michael Palin hosts the next the episode, next one. but he's he hosts twice that season, which is unusual. You don't usually have No, that you don't happen. usually... Well, actually, uh, Candace Bergen did that. Uh, the, the first season or the second season, she hosted twice in one year. And I guess if something works, go with it, or right. they might have been replacing. And then at the end, we get the... We get the good night, everybody. Thanks for thanks for being everybody here. Everybody looks happy. It doesn't. Look everybody like, looks happy. They're uh, probably relieved. 
I was look. Everybody was on stage too. I was gonna. I was looking to see if anybody didn't show up on stage. Everybody shows up yeah. on stage. John Belushi walks over, shakes Milton Berle's hand. It you know every every few years they would dig him up. To, so shortly after that, he appears on General Hospital and plays an agent, plays uh, Laura of the ever popular Luke and Laura on General Hospital. They transitioned into a storyline where Laura becomes a, a model, a cover girl, and he's her agent, and he was terrible. I have never seen anybody read cue cards on a soap opera. It was like in um, Soap Dish, the movie Soap Dish, where the old doctor is reading the cue cards. Oh, George and, George yeah, Gaines. Yeah. And, yeah. And oh, Dustin, no, that's Tootsie. And, and Tootsie. And <laughs> yeah. Tootsie. Yeah, yeah, it is Tootsie. Yeah. And, and Dustin Hoffman grabs his face. And, Look at me. Look at yeah. me. You know, and so, it, and then in the 80s, I don't know if you remember this, they bring Milton Berle and RuPaul out. Yes, I remember MTV that. At the MTV Music Awards, and that was That was not, awkward. that was totally awkward. Yeah. I was about to compliment uh, uh, RuPaul. That's beautiful. I love that gown. I love that gown. You should, Queen. It's one of your old ones. <laughs> Funny line, funny line. <laughs> I, 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 I wish I'd have said that. <laughs> Don't worry, you will. <laughs> oh, oh. You, know, you know, I'm beginning to feel like a straight man. <laughs> I don't know about him, but me. <laughs> but I, I, you, you know, RuPaul, 40 years ago, seriously, 40 years ago, when I was on uh, TV, I used to wear gowns myself. Is that right? You used to wear gowns, and that's funny, now you wear diapers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to ad lib? If you want to ad lib, I'll check my brains. We'll start even. <laughs> I said, wasn't supposed to say that, were you? I said I used to wear gowns like you did. How about that? I don't know. That that's you know, I'm I'm like I say, back in the day, I'm sure I'm sure Milton Burl had his crowd. I never was a fan. Uh so thanks for making me watch this. And, <laughs> and uh Well, I just so was his performance as bad as the legend has it? Yes. Yes. So you would yeah, hundred percent. That's what I was going to say, too. I was going to say, yes, he's, uh, you can obviously, like, you can obviously say where he's fitting in these ad libs, and I think, I think the cast just dealing with him all week. Yeah. We're just like, okay, we're, we, we, we have to do this. Um, it's hard when you run across somebody who maybe was your hero, somebody you idolized on TV, somebody who is a quote unquote legend and then they disappoint you, you know, I'm sure that was the experience for some of them, you know, probably for Gilda, probably for Bill, probably, you know, they grew up watching, grew up watching him. Yeah. You know? And so it's, but I also think that they'd been around enough. This was their fourth season that they'd probably run across different. Oh, they ran across, uh, they, they hosts. Yeah. They ran a, there was a couple of difficult hosts in there uh, in those first couple of seasons. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what it was. It like they had Frank Zappa host and be the musical guest. They only ever did that once. Well, know? no, he did, was the musical guest one year. Then he came back to host and be the musical guest. And then after that, that was gone. So. Yeah, because they said he was like anti. Like he purposely played all the sketches where he was obviously reading the cue cards. Like, yeah, 
pulling some friends. Uh, out who was the woman? Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman. Louise Lasser wouldn't do. She wouldn't come out of her dressing room. She would only do sketches like that she wrote with her dog. And, yeah, yeah. So, so there was a lot of stuff backstage, and I would recommend this episode. Just watch it, just to see how wrong it can go, how <laughs> bad it is. You're, it's not going to like the Irving Mainway sketch is the highlight of yeah, the... Yeah, I mean, Dan Aykroyd's not in the episode a lot other than the Village People sketch, the Irving Mainway and sketch, the, and the, the improv playing guy. the improv nerd yeah. at, the, at, the audition, at the audition sketch. You know, he's not really in it a lot. But when he is in it, he does shine. It, yeah. the, the improv part of the that long-ass sketch is the high point of that as well. <laughs> I had to laugh that he's the biker dude in the... Village people yeah, uh, sketch because yeah. that makes sense. That, that makes total sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a fan of SNL, if you're doing like what our friend Muriel's doing, where she's watching from the beginning, you know, watching all the seasons, you're going to run across it on Peacock. If you're a, if you are an improv uh, improviser, an improv student, an acting student, studying stand up, it's good to go back and watch these old SNLs. I think in some capacity, but yeah, it's. It's a tough. It's a tough watch. I, you need to cleanse your palate with like a, a another episode with a, a good guest. Steve Martin, yeah, with a Steve Martin with host. A Steve Martin, yeah, yeah. Don't don't go into this one cold. <laughs> Brace yourself with it. Yeah, have like a yeah, have like a Steve Martin and, and a Buck Henry, and, and have Milton Berle right in the middle. You know, and if you've got a good Milton Berle story, I guess you can comment on uh, Scott's uh, podcast. You can comment on the Dan Aykroyd podcast. If you know of some good clip with Milton Berle that you like, share it Share it with Scott. There is, uh, he was on the Lucy show one time, and and this is... Like In Color, the Lucy in show. In Color, in Lucy, and he's going off script and he's trying to make everybody laugh. And I will hand it to Lucille Ball. She did not break character. The other, his it was his wife and then another actress and Lucy and his wife and this other actress were breaking up, and uh, but Lucy was not. I read something about one of his sons tried to pitch like a tell-all, you know, novel, and that Milton Berle was like hell to live with, and he was a womanizer. He was a womanizer, and that they said that he had had an affair with Lucille Ball. I cannot even imagine. I I can't imagine that. that, So, Um, but uh, how that's interesting. Yeah, the the it's the they run all those now too you know you can watch the lucy show and the the where it's her her kids are playing her teenage right. kids and vivian vance is in it with her and you know there's some there's some interesting stuff there there is yeah the has 60s anybody, and the has, 70s were an interesting time for television has anybody ever done like a milton Berle biopic or anything no no that's never been done and i he wrote a book but I don't how much. Oh, wait, he talks about his book. He talks about his book. Yeah, he actually pitches his book. He yeah. actually, okay, this is the height. I'm glad. Oh, I forgot about this. This is the height of pomp, pompituity, pompatus, pompous. Pompatus of love? No. Pompatus, <laughs> yes. The pomp, the, the paramount of love. He quotes his own book. Yes. It's like, I wrote this and I'm going to quote my own book. It's like, that is the height of holy shit. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Like some kind of Frasier, like, you know, something. Yeah, it's it really is pompous. To, yeah, it really that, is pompous. That, that's during the whole September song. Yeah, so yeah, he quotes his own book, which I thought, okay. So, yeah, so this is, it's a very subpar episode, but if you want to watch it just to see how, how it went wrong 
and what everybody is talking about. If you read an article on all these band hosts, it is on Peacock. It's the fourth season. I believe it's the fourth episode of the fourth season. Uh, but, but it's right around there. They're really easy to find. And um, that any other any other thoughts on this? No, I uh, no. No. <laughs> yeah, no, no more thoughts. <laughs> no, I'm done with Milton Berle. We are done with Milton Berle. All right, so this has been another episode of the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I want to thank my guest, Steph DeWagoner, and I want to thank everybody, everybody, bleh, and I want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll see everybody here next time. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. If I could continue to get audiences like you've been here tonight, I just want to say that you've given me the incentive, the incentive to never stop entertaining. And I really mean that. And I'd like to say, give me a live audience like you for the rest of my career. Thank you very, very much. has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast. So many legends are passed on by word of mouth. You never know how much truth there is to any of them. So just once, for the record, Milton, is it true? Are you talking about my endowment? Yes, Endowments. Is it true? All I can say is that I'm still working on it. <laughs> no. That's been thrown at me so many times, that question. I don't know what's so thrilling about is it true. I really don't know. I, you know, I'm not the only man in the world. There are better men than me. Of course, you'd have to show them to me. <laughs> no, I've had a little success with it, even recently at 88. So it seems quite true. All I know that when I get an erection, I black out. <laughs> <laughs>